With Fidelity Wealth Management, a dedicated advisor can work with you on a comprehensive plan to help you reach your wealth's full potential. Plus, you'll have access to specialists in estate planning strategies. So you're not just growing and protecting your wealth, you're sharing it. More at fidelity.com slash wealth. Investment minimums apply. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. If you're listening to my show, you're looking for tips on how to work smarter, not harder. And let's be real. You're already working hard to earn your money. But how do you make sure that your money is working hard for you? Here's how. With a Betterment Automated Investment and Savings app, your money will go to work. They've got technology that will provide you with advanced tools, and they're built to help maximize your returns, not to mention your time. They have expert-built portfolios of low-cost exchange-traded funds. You know I love those exchange-traded funds. There's automated investing technology, and as part of that, automated rebalancing. Many of you have been asking about rebalancing, and it sort of feels like a hard thing to do on your own. With Betterment, easy peasy. They do it for you. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. Welcome to the Jill on Money Show. It is Friday, January 21st, and we are here to take the mystery out of your financial life. You know what I'm doing today, Mark, is uh, I am prepping a big segment that I am doing on Monday. And I very rarely am on TV on Monday mornings because I don't really like to because I do like 18 different radio hits. But on Monday, tax season opens. And so everybody's like, we got to do something that day. I get it. I'm sure that everyone's going to be hepped up about tax season. We are going to conduct our big interview with the IRA and tax expert Ed Slot next week. So I'm a little bit nervous. I wish, Mark, that I was doing the Ed Slot interview before I did my segment because he always kind of raises the bar for me a little bit and says, oh, no, this is something you need to think about. I'll do my best. It's so weird because so much of the tax code is predicated on, you know, you just sort of reporting stuff. But then the IRS is sort of saying like, oh, well, actually, everything is completely screwed up and don't expect any help from us. And uh, by the way, you know, the the you know, it's April 18th, not April 15th. But, you know, we have like the whole craziness with the IRS staff cuts. Uh, I looked this up. 17% staff reduction, okay, over the last dozen years. And the IRS says that they have had a 32% increase in the amount of work they have to do. Fewer people, more work. Gosh, I wonder why we have so many delays in this. Also, that so the tax advocates report came out. The IRS still has a backlog of 6 million unprocessed individual returns from last year. Six million is a lot. I know there's 150 million taxpayers, but I feel like six is a lot. Yeah, file online. And that's what the IRS says. File electronically, if possible. Also, if you guys have any questions, send them ahead of time. You know, we'd love to be able to, you know, help you out. And and the best way we can do that is to have you go to the website, jillonmoney.com. Click the contact button. Let us know what your tax question is. Let's do some emails, though, because the email inbox is silly. 
And uh, we just have too many, and I want to try to help out here. So we might have to do a few email episodes. Oh, let me start with this one, because it's a nice beginning to our day today. Jill and Mark, you are giving the world an incredible service with the work you do. Thank you. Thank you, Carol. That's hands on my back, right, Mark? Doesn't that feel good when someone when they start the message like that? Okay, Carol says she's got a mid-30s daughter uh, who became a nurse five years ago after her first career in nonprofits helping kids. She just finished her master's in nursing. She's going to be working her dream job at a large university hospital on their kidney transplant team. My God. Okay, she's going to be making $150,000, but she's got 80 grand in student loans. I mean, at least she's making a lot of money. Anyway, she lives in California. She knows she will not be able to afford a house. Her husband is a freelancer. He only makes enough to cover his half of their expenses. He's got about 50 grand in student loans. They've been working hard to get that debt retired. Recently, on a girl's weekend with her mama, she said she knows she has to get very serious about her financial future. She doesn't know how to start. She opened the door to that conversation. So what counsel would you give her? Carol, first of all, you know, I would tell her that I'd love to talk to her directly because I think it's better coming from me, even though she asked her mama. So that's great. You know, I think that when you are starting out of any situation where you're rebuilding, now you could be a new graduate out of college. It could be that, you know, your marriage imploded and, you know, half of the assets are split or you've come out of grad school. All these things kind of boil back down to what we like to call the big three. And I know it seems so silly that I repeat this, but you know what? Uh, When I was an athlete 100 years ago, we would repeat very basic drills. You know, we would do the basic drills. You would shoot layups. You would shoot foul shots. You would do give and goes. You would do those things because they're really helpful. And so our kind of basics, the big three, would be that she should really create a plan where she can start saving some money, paying down the debt and using a retirement plan at work. Now, in order to do any of that, her her almost like critical need at this moment is to try to use some sort of program that will allow her to track her money, what's coming in, what's going out. And she and her husband should do this together. They should look at this money that's coming in. She's going to make 150 grand. So at the very least, we would suggest that she use, and I'm pretty sure that she would probably work for someplace that has some matching component to their retirement account. So the first thing I would do is sign up to put as much money into my retirement plan up to the match. It's probably 6%, maybe it's 5%, maybe it's 8% because she's working at a large university hospital, okay? The next thing she needs to do is look at what is her take-home pay and then look at what's going out the door. What are her critical needs that need to be a, that she has to address, right? So it's my rent and my utilities and my food and just track that. And you can track that with a banking app. You can track that with Mint or Clarity Money, whatever works for you. You can, I don't really care. You can write it down on a yellow legal pad, which Mark, I was really just as it came out of my mouth, made me sound so old. For me, the reason I like to write, and maybe you would too, if you're looking, Carol, maybe your daughter will relate to this. There's something about the process of writing it down that helps me remember it better also. There's something that's going on. I have to get some sort of cognitive scientist on here to help me understand that. But anyway, writing is very important. So if you want to write down everything you spend, that's fine too. Why do we want to do this? I'm not, I'm not into budgeting. I am not somebody who likes scarcity. I really don't. 
And so the reason you're trying to get a hold of what you're spending is to get a grip on how much money you have available, how she has, to pay down this student loan debt. That's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to say, hey, where's the money? What is available to us to be able to do this? And the reason this is so important is that every dollar that she can afford to put down on this debt, she should. So let's just pretend for a second. Let's just say, okay, her um, her payment is, Let's. what do you think the payment is, Mark? Should we make a guess at this? Okay, let's say the payment is $400 a month, right? Now we go through, she goes through the whole process. She writes everything down. She does all that. And she's like, wow, actually I have a thousand dollars a month extra every single month. And what she should be doing with that thousand dollars a month is putting, let's say half of it to pay down the student loan and half of it would be to create an emergency reserve fund that three to six months of her living expenses. That's what she has to do. But you see, it's not much more I don't think it's much more complicated than that, but I think the real issue is that it's hard to do, okay? This is simple, right? It's not, it is not complicated, but it really is important because what I think people don't really understand is that the process of doing this has everything to do with taking control. And that's why this process can be really feel overwhelming until you make the first step. All right. This is a message from Rhonda who says, I am 51 with not much in retirement. Is there any hope for me to retire in five to seven years? Rhonda, Rhonda, honey, um, you're only 51. So first of all, come on, you're really young. Okay, but let's get the, the details. Rhonda lives in the mid-Atlantic. She works with the Department of Corrections. She's got 23 years in, wow. She says, I've got a home that's worth $210,000. She owes $67,000. She's got a savings account with $15,000. She said she's got some money in Voya. I wonder if that's a retirement plan. That sounds oddly like almost like a deferred compensation plan. But she's got uh, a, a target date fund through Voya with $102,000. Oh, yeah. This comes out through work. Pre-tax deferral, Roth, blah, 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 blah. Single, 20-year-old daughter lives at home. I help with the, her school books and lab fees for college. No credit card debt, no car payments. Okay, I will receive a pension. I could receive $4,500 a month. I'll have medical insurance and social security if I retire at 67. I only make about 60,000 bucks a year, but I do overtime. It puts me between 75 and 100,000 right now when I work overtime. So here's the question, Mark. Is there any hope for Rhonda to get out of the corrections universe. What do you think? Okay. Mark says, number one, she did mention this, that she pays a little bit extra on her mortgage. So let's stop that. Number two, can you live on 4,500 a month? Can you live on 4,500 a month before taxes, which would probably be $3,800 a month? Can you live on that? You know, I, I'm presuming you can, because right now you make 60 grand. I know you get the overtime, but if you make 60 grand and you're putting money in retirement, you probably can live on I don't know, I'm going to say five grand a month. Do not pay down the mortgage quicker than you should. From my perspective, at least, try to use, if you're going to work, if you're going to do the overtime, is that what's making you crazy? Are you working too much? Because, you know, in some respects, if you can simply grid it out for maybe 10 more years instead of five to seven years, it's going to be better. But I think you need to have some extra money in non retirement savings to get you 
between the time you retire and the time you claim Social Security. You don't need to pay off a little extra on your mortgage. You really don't. You do need to beef up that $15,000 to have more money in it. And I would even tell you that, frankly, instead of putting pre-tax deferral money away, I would take that extra $400 that you're doing right there and plus your catch-up contribution, I would put $500 a month into my savings. What do you think about that, Mark? Need more accessible money. We agree on that. Now I feel bad because I was like, oh, you know, you're only 51, but I tell you what, if I had to work 20 years, if I had to work two minutes in a correction correctional facility, I'd probably be like, uh, no, thank you. So if you want to retire sooner rather than later, what I think you should be thinking about is how to build up your non-retirement assets as quickly as possible. Okay. All right. Here's Rick. He says, I listen to your podcast and I appreciate you. And he appreciates you too, Mark. Uh, Rick is a 60-year-old male. He's married, no debt, good income. I like that he says good income. Guy makes a half a million dollars a year. Dude, that's great income. Who are you comparing yourself to? All right. He makes a... (laughs) And Rick has $2 million of retirement, of which a million dollars is after tax tax tax-free municipal bonds. So he's got... It looks like a million dollars of pre-tax retirement money and then a million dollars in munis. It was a good idea when I used to purchase one and make six and a half percent after tax. Not so good right now at about two to three percent. I no longer add that to the investment. I don't know what to do with it. To top it all off, the account is managed at one percent. I think you understand my frustration. Should I leave it alone or move it? Well, I mean, when are you going to retire? Are you going to, you know, if you live in a high tax state, you should look at the differential of what the taxable and tax free numbers are. Like if you live in New York or California or Illinois or you're in a high tax or New Jersey, you're in a high tax state. It still may be worth it to buy a tax free muni. It really might be just simply because of your earnings and your tax bracket right? So you've got to compare taxable to tax-free. And then if you are in one of those high tax states, maybe what you should do is instead of paying 1% to have it managed, you know, as the bonds roll off, you could just buy a tax-free muni fund, okay? And it may feel like, ugh, you know, I'm not getting 6%. Okay, I get it. But like, So what? Interest rates are rising. If you buy a fund, then as the bonds mature, you'll reinvest at lower price levels. Maybe that would work. Or maybe I don't even need that much in bonds. If you want to fire the bond manager, it's pretty easy to do. I mean, I'm so sorry because bond managers are worth their weight in gold because this is a hard job is to go out and find individual bonds. But it is tough to pay a 1% management fee when the interest that you're earning is really low. That said, you know, I don't know, maybe you could pick a place where they're actually managing all of your money or doing financial planning for you. I need more info. Here is the subject from Anne, who all caps, which I'm going to read it as all caps. You ready? Selling a rental property before retirement. Okay. (laughs) Hello, Jill, says Anne. I've watched you on CBS This Morning, now called CBS Mornings, for many years. And after Googling, I found that I could ask you a financial question. Mark, I got to make that. Maybe I should have a little like hashtag, ask Jill, uh, Jill, you know what I mean? Maybe I should do something with the uh, producers so they everyone knows they can ask me questions. If you have Jill, if a question for Jill, go to our website, jillonmoney.com, click the contact button. Okay, here we go from Anne. Anne's fiance owns a rental property. 
the fiance lives with me in a home that I own. Oh, okay. We're trying to decide whether to sell the rental since the market's up and we really do not need to buy another place to live. We're both in our mid-60s. We plan to retire in the next two years. Mark, I want to know about this love second time around, first of all. The rental was purchased as his prime residence. However, it's been a rental for the past six years. There was a fire in October of 2020, which resulted in a complete renovation of the entire home since only the frame and exterior of the house could be saved. Holy smokes. Yikes. That's a bad 2020 for you. 14 months, the renovation hasn't been completed. The pandemic has caused all these delays, of course. Okay. Now, we hesitate to continue to use the home as a rental since it will show so well as brand new. All right. We have to pay a lot in capital gains, however. The home was purchased for 129 grand after deductions and all that brings it to like their cost base is 100 grand and they're going to sell it for 250. At the current time, my fiance has a six-figure salary. Should we wait until after retirement to sell it? Will we pay less in capital gains since our salaries will be significantly reduced? I'm going to say no, not knowing your salaries. So I don't know how much you guys really earn. You're both working. So at the very least right now, even if you're singles, uh, you know, you're not married yet, but you know, once you get married, if you earn under a half a million dollars, 80,000, 80,000, about 81 to 500,000, you're in the 15% capital gains rate. Okay. And then there's this extra 3.8% that you would have to pay if you, so if you earn less than $250,000 as joint filers or 200,000 as a single filer, then you are in the 15% tax bracket. You know, there's, if you earn more than 250 as a joint father or 200 as a single, we have to pay 18.8%. So I don't know if you're in that 15 or 18.8% bracket, it's probably not going down for you when you get married. And even because you'll get social security, you're probably going to both earn more than $80,000 together. So the question is, if you earn a lot more money, if you guys together earn over a half a million dollars, then you should wait. But the waiting means that you kind of are, you're doing a little market timing in a weird way. Like, you know what it's worth now, you're willing to wait. Does that make sense? So if you sit on it for two years and you're not getting rental income, eh, I'll tell you what, I'd sell it. I would even say, I think I would probably sell it even if I had to pay that extra 3.8% because when you think about it, two years is a long time. I, I'm thinking that this is one of those cases where we're much safer taking the money off the table right now, having that money at your disposal and getting it to work for you. Yeah, that's true. Mark says maybe there'll be a bidding war. Maybe there'll be, maybe it's a hot housing market right now as things, you know, remember this, as more inventory comes online, as people start to get a little spooked by the mortgage market changing, you know, uh, things can change pretty quickly. So I would sell it and move on. And congratulations on your upcoming uh, nuptials. That's it. That is the program. We are so happy that you joined us. And we are always in, excited and interested in what you have to say. You know, it's very easy. Just go to jillonmoney.com and bookmark the website. If you're there, that means that you can bookmark it and you can do it on your phone. You can do it on your laptop, wherever you're getting us. And if you bookmark it, every time you have a financial question, just go in there and click the contact button. There's a form that comes down. Mark asks whether or not you'd be willing to come on the program. If you do, I mean, it's kind of more fun. You could see that we would have done a many, many different things with people on the line 
today, right, Mark? We would have had a much richer conversation rather than me saying we need more information. It's a much better experience all around, says Mark. Anyway, JillOnMoney.com. While you're there, sign up for the free weekly newsletter. And it's Friday. So I'm going to do, you know, a lot of shows, they do their business every single day. I don't know. I feel like it's overkill. I always thank you, Mark. Mark Delercio is their executive producer, webmaster, content man. Uh, what else do we call you? Interior designer. And all things Jill on Money, it's Mark. Mark, thank you. You're the best. Our music is composed by Joel Goodman. Hey, guess, guess what, Mark? Joel Goodman reached out to me over the weekend. Why? He got an email on his website, because I say our music is composed by Joel Goodman. Here's a woman, D, who says, subject, this, he forwarded me this email. Name of Jill Schlesinger's theme song. How can I hear Jill Schlesinger's theme song on my computer? Thank you for your help. <laughs> D, I hope you enjoy the theme music. And it is composed by Joel Goodman, friend of the show, brother of Michael Goodman, also friend of the show. We are distributed by Cadence 13. Please try to do something nice for someone else today. It will make that person feel better. It will make you feel better. Please be careful out there. We still have a, a variant that is raging, even though it's on its way down. Grit, growth, grace. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.